Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and in this episode, I was joined by Andrew Alexander King. A few years ago, he started the Between Worlds Project, which aims to give exposure to individuals, nonprofits, and developing communities battling sexism, racism, climate change, and other economic barriers. And he is currently embarking on a journey to be the first African-American to climb the seven highest peaks and volcanoes. This was a hugely enjoyable conversation. I was able to find time in Andrew's busy schedule to be able to interview him. He's currently based in Mexico at the time of this recording, and you can hear some construction work behind him at certain points during this interview. Once again, thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Climbed one of the three mountains of volcanoes yesterday, got to climb the highest historical site in all of the world and be part of the spring ceremony here. Wow. And so I got to be a part of that with uh, my guide and a few commu- like culture and uh, community uh, natives. And it was beautiful to walk up the, the stairs to the prayer and the offering and then walk through the temple of their god, their water god, Tlaloc, and uh, be a part of that. So it was pretty cool because I didn't expect that. I was just climbing yeah. And then they're like, Hey, we want you to come and be part of the ceremony. So I was like, okay, let me take me through it. You know, who am I like, what do I have to offer? And and basically it's all the footage that I'm not releasing yet until the vlog comes out of like showing how the between worlds project, that's the premise of it. Like showing that when you go to a place, you'll just take a photo of it, which we'll dive into. Mm -hmm. You really get to understand the, you know, the nature, the human component and the ceremony component, if there is one to how that flourishes and connects us all together. So yeah. it's been cool. Yeah, Puebla is a home of home for me. Every time I come here, it's it's like being back home. I am really happy. My energy level goes up. I get a lot more sleep, and so it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a busy Sunday. <laughs> it was really crazy because I actually, I was, my coach is Melissa Reed, the first woman that climbed Everest without oxygen. So she's my mountaineering coach, and we're like sitting, going back and forth via text. Me like, coach, this is what I'm like. We're sitting there. And I'm um, giving her all the download of like, this is the mountains I'm climbing. This is the, and I give her like three things I work on in each mountain. I'm very rigorous about my training. And as we're going through it, I'm like, coach, I'm going to try to slow down my tempo tomorrow on the mountain. And I put the anti-oxygen mask on, you know, to resist my airflow, put 40 pounds in my bag. And I still round trip with no stopping, even though we did stop to shoot and everything to film. It was five hours. That mountain is usually a 10 hour round trip. And I was just like, I was like, I was like, I was texting her and I was like, coach, I put my mask on, I put more weight in my pack, I put all my gear on and I still slow down. And, you know, it just shows that, you know, I've been training since, for Denali, I've been training since, in these climbs since probably what, December. So it's showing that, you know, even then that all together is still showing you're on a good point, but it was good. Yeah. And, um, it was a good day, great Sunday. And now today's a recovery day and that meditation and just reflection and poetry. That's it. So, yeah. We're going to start with a question that I never sent. I call this section mystery questions and mm-hmm. I have some mystery question. Now I see them. So they're not <laughs> mysterious to me. They're just mysterious to you, but I have some questions here laid out in front of me. Uh, there are five of them and you're just going to give me a number. Whatever number you give me is the question you get asked. All right. So <laughs> one to five, one to five. Uh, I'm going to go with, four. Ooh. Okay, good. Cause three is the most common number to pick. So this, I feel like yeah. is a question that is, is already been somewhat answered, but you can highlight that or maybe pick something else. What has been the highlight of your week so far? It definitely would be being a part of that ceremony at the top of Mount Tawaku here in Mexico. That is the highest historical site in the world. It is that over 13,000 feet. The site is still used as a prayer and a sense of respect to the Mexicana community to show respect to the rain God who the mountain is named after. So, you know, when I got here, we had to shift around the mountains, the three volcanoes we're going to climb because one is closed due to COVID. And so the team here who I've known for, you know, almost a year down, they're very lovely people. 
said, Hey, try this mountain. It's 13 miles and it's pretty good elevation and it's good for you to, you know, take the pack up. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And as I researched it and such, I was like, wow, this is a historical site. I didn't know I was going to be a part of that ceremony. And as I get to the top, uh, my guide who I recently just met, who's angel, an amazing young um, mountaineer. And we talked about many different topics. He's a sun dancer as well. And so we get to the top and other you know, Mexicanos are there giving their respects at the, at the start of the temple. You just, you could walk to the top, but paying your respects to walk through the entire temple. You see that as like a, a, a pretty long laid out. What's cool. So him and I um, shared our moment of respect. I gave away my Buddha bead bracelet that I used to meditate and stay focused in a moment as my offering of sacrifice to go into the temple. And he gave something as well, cacao beads. I mean, cacao yes, seeds. And we had a moment there. And then as we got into the main port of the temple, other Mishkanas asked us to be a part of the ceremony, which was blowing through a seashell, which I've never done before, which was pretty crazy cool because I had to learn how to do that. And then also having an instrument in, in us chanting as well as paying respects to that rain god and hoping to have a good spring as well. So on the first day of spring, to do that and you know climb a mountain and really, it wasn't about climbing the mountain for me. It was really just about connecting with the locals and their culture, which I always love to do. And I always say that Trump's you know, peak bagging any day. I think about it. It's, it's about learning everything else from the start to the summit. I learned so much about that culture of that. So that's the highlight of the week for me. People have asked like, how do I get into the industry? How do we start? Sometimes there is a, there is a part of luck where you could say, oh, that was luck that you were in those positions. But I think that there's something you did there as well by putting yourself into a position of being there that was able to mm-hmm. then experience that you wouldn't known if you hadn't been there. So that's always right. a cool moment. I think that's true. And I think the way you tied in is perfectly articulate because I think of it as every day I meditate and I have, I have four core values that are pretty solid, similar to the, the Between Worlds project core values, which you see on the site. Uh, but for me, every day I wake up and I set three intentions of what I want to hold myself accountable to as I go through the day. And those usually, they vary every day because I wake up and, you know, I'm like, okay, I want to be open. I want to be more loving and supporting. I want to be more driven in a certain degree. And those are the three things I hold myself accountable as the day progresses on. And so yesterday was being open to that in a hearing. So getting to the top and I'm like, okay, I'm at the top of the mountain and I'm looking around and it, you know, it wasn't never on the agenda, like you said, or the itinerary to do that, you know, like having the training schedule already ready to go. I knew I was going to work with a certain team. We're going to climb a certain mountains. We're going to work with nonprofits, help on women's right. But that again, right there is the whole experience for me. What it is, is navigating through those spaces as we see here in Mexico, they're dealing with the border crisis. We call it here back in America or the women's right issue here is taking the time to be open to what the natives are experiencing and how they still hold these rituals and ceremonies close to them in a modern day. So that, that ceremonial site was used. It's not that far from Mexico city and people used to come there and out. We offer sacrificings and gifts to this rain god. And if you look at the photo on my Instagram, which is really interesting, I didn't notice this because I was meditating on the summit, which I always do at every top of every mountain to leave a piece of my mind there to you know, reflect back on as time goes on in my life. You look at the photo, I didn't notice until I was posting. I was like, you could see there's rain in the background on the next volcano we're climbing this week. And it was so crazy because um, someone took it. When I was um, Angel took it when I was meditating. I was just like, wow, that is, it just shows you. If you're open to these things, I think you're able to experience nature on a very multi-layer uh, aspect versus being very myopic and siloed. And you kind of just you know miss out on these beautiful experience. So for me, last night when I got home, I, I was I just grew tenfold. I had way more fun than I ever thought I would have. And I was like, I, I just feel excited about life. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say that's true how you tie it together and have to be open to the possibilities of learning more from those around you. So experiential learning there's something called the experiential learning cycle and the concept Mm -hmm. is is we don't necessarily learn from our experiences that's not the only part that's one component of the cycle but we also learn from the reflection of it so Mm -hmm. there's a point at which we do the thing we talk about the thing we analyze the thing and then from that we can then reflect upon it and do it again right then it seems like for me just even this small snippet we've spoken that reflection is crucial to the experiences that you have would that, would that be accurate that's 100 percent accurate i think for me and that's a very good way of articulating it again Phil, so it's like i think having again going through like we just talked about with you know my coach melissa Reed, like amazing my mountaineer the i would say she is 
the Wonder Woman of mountaineering, 100%. To climb Everest, you know, multiple times, the first woman to do it without oxygen and still be able to text, you know, like after I got off the mountain, she's able to, I sent her my data and everything. I was like, hey, what do you think of this coach? It's again, to your point of reflection, I don't do things in my life at this point as I evolve to who I am now without having that intention from the reflection of where I'm, you know, as you take this step. And so getting to the top of every mountain, everyone's like, okay, you summit the mountain, but what did you involve into along the way? It's, it's not, it's like along that journey, again, from the base to the summit, you're evolving mentally or physically into something else. And I don't know what that is for everybody, but for me, it's opening up into a new headspace. It's either becoming more aware of my body, my breath work, you know, my thoughts, my consistent, like those are things, again, I reflect when I get to the top of the mountain. I have my book with me most of the time, uh, my poetry book, and I write those thoughts in there about those things. And that's where most of my poetry does come up in nature is reflection on those feelings and articulating it in a manner that works for me and where it's able to be expressed and shown. So I would agree with that hundred percent is where, being an athlete in today's era is a little bit different than where most of back in our, our predecessors or historically where we, we did it, where a very intense way and showing like a, we conquered something. It's now showing how we've evolved to really appreciate, especially in the outdoor space, appreciate that mountain, that wave, mm. that environment for what it truly is. And I think when you hit on the topic of outdoor education and adventure, which is very interesting because to me, adventure, a lot of people think it's like, oh, Andrew, you want to go surf a giant wave. You want to go free dive here. You have to go, you know, climb this mountain. You're about to go into these ruins. And I'm like, that is to me is just learning what it means to be a human being. That is a human being something what they are. It's not, I'm not being like, I'm seeking adventure. Adventure to me, when I tell people is getting out of your house and going the opposite way around your block to see something new. That's just as big of an adventure as me getting on a plane and going, to the South America and somebody like, Oh, it's, it's relative and it's all about perspective, but you would still be opening up your comfort zone to experience something new by doing that. And that is adventure in the sense so having a mind that's open to that and sees that not everything has to be an intense mountain climb or giant wave. It's more of how you feel that you're growing and how you're reflecting on that growth. And then how do you expand further on your comfort zone to then welcome other people to experience that along their journey. And so for me, it's, that's what reflection is. It's, you know, come here. I always say every time I leave my house to get on a plane to go someplace, I never come back the same person. And I always say this, I never leave a mountain the same person. I never get off a wave the same person. And I, I'm grateful that I'm always open to that mindset to have that because I remember back when I was an athlete, it was very, very siloed, you know, and as athletes, we can do that. We'd be like, I'm very goal driven, which I am, I do have goals, but leave it to be malleable to understand other things around you. So when you do achieve that goal, you're not just growing in a checkbox manner you're growing in a human being manner as well finding a moment and that letting that moment be the moment and not trying to necessarily guide to have this outcome in mind so as you were going up you didn't know what was coming i think yeah. that that's the other part of adventure learning that i try to impart in people i teach is you can you can plan as much as you want but be really open as a facilitator or with a group to the potential for things going differently and moving in different ways. I had a, there's an episode called Finding Pine Cones, where a ref, reference working with a, kids, a group of kids from Iraq who came to the US were doing programming with them. And they were just asking me questions about the flora and the fauna of the, the woods we were in. And I needed to get out of my head that I wasn't going to get them in harnesses and climbing. I was actually going to talk to them about the pine cones. And we spent a whole day doing that and it was the best day ever. And I referenced that for me, that's one of the most impactful experiences I've had teaching. And I never even touched the things I was supposed to be teaching about. So being open as you were talking, that jumped into my head. So interesting. So that's such a beautiful way, because I think when I started climbing, like I taught myself how to be a mountaineer, a surfer and free diver. No one taught me how to do those things. (laughs) So I had no, no, like again, born in Detroit. No one in my family ever did it. No one ever surfed, climbed a mountain, free dive, none of those things. So for me, it was just, loving nature. And we'll get deeper into that. So when I started climbing, you know, a decade ago, uh, I started with the highest, I started with the mountains and I started with oceans, volcanoes, 
I did the highest mountain on each in each ocean besides the Arctic Ocean. And so I would do that, get to the top mountain, meditate, and then come down and surf. I had time. That's what I did. And so I, I never really got to start putting the expectation on summiting until probably about three or four years in, where I was like, I'm going to go up this mountain and climb it. And I had a partner at the time. And unfortunately, we didn't get the sum of that because she was so afraid of the consequence or the risk of we're in Mount Pico off the, the highest mountain in Portugal, off the coast and the Azores. And so we're at the top and I'm looking up and this is like, I'm like, okay, cool. This storm is pretty bad, but it's blowing out. And we're so sideways that she thinks she's going to fall off the mountain. And we're probably no more than 300 meters from the top. I'm looking right at the top. I'm like, it's right there. And she goes, I don't think I can do it. And I look at her and I look at the top and I've not summoned, I've never not summoned a mountain before until this point. And I look at her and I look at the top and I look at her and I go, all right, let's go down. And she goes, are you sure? And I'm like, this mountain is not worth you at all. It's not going to be anywhere. What I'm trying to tie into this is if I still stuck to that expectation of always summiting, I would have lost out on a deeper meaning of myself and with that partner in conversation. And what I learned that day is not everything is about building this reality and with your mind of like, this is what I expect in nature. You have no control over that environment. You think you do. You can plan. Like we planned, we looked at the weather patterns, we got there early, we went through different parts of it. But at the end of the day, the climb and that experience of being outdoors had it didn't really necessarily have to do with the mountain. It was about the two individuals there. That was the climb. And if we could climb that peak together, and that's what it was. So if you would have asked me prior to that, I would have said, you know, naively and young as going through this, like, oh yeah, you come to Congress. But from that day forward, it really sparked in my head to, to your point where the setting the expectation and outdoors, you can have a plan in which you should, you really should think of what can and can not go wrong, but also leaving enough space to grow in a way that is good for you and understanding. So when you do come back to that place, you're not really held to this expectation that isn't really growing, but more stifling for you to experience outdoor in a conforming and peaceful place for other people with you along the way. When things don't work out, how do you react to those experiences in that moment? And I think that that's the, those are, those are phenomenal lessons that you're going to gain from that. That's a good point. Before you jump on, I think that's a great point because as you get into those sports and outdoor adventure, that is how you go from leadership. You've all into leadership right there because failure no one wants to talk about failure. Everyone wants to talk about your success. You know, everyone's like, but how do you come back from failure defines you in so many ways. And I think in mountaineering and climbing, like you are going to fall a lot. You are going to get altitude sickness at, at some point. You're going to, surfing, you're going to fall off your board. You're going to get freaked out diving to a depth you're not comfortable with. And, you know, but how do you deal with that failure is a good way for me when I assess people and I want to train with them is I go, what is your aptitude on failure? I go, what do you mean? I'm like always successful. I'm like, you're in an outdoor sport. You have no control over that success. If you, you, no one climbs Everest by themselves. No one makes it to the top of a mountain by themselves. And people are like, oh yeah. I'm like, no, either you had a trainer or you had someone there within your village. I call it my village that helped mentor you to some degree to give you that confidence. But the main thing I'm asking you is when you fail, what do you, does it shatter you? Cause you've never felt it before. And if it shatters you try shattering yourself and pushing yourself again out of that comfort zone to fail quicker. And I call it advanced failures. I call it. And I learned those in life where you're failing at an accelerated rate that you're building this callus that then you're able to handle it and come back and be in that space and be like, Oh, I'm adding that failure to my rock, if you like call it. So when you do fail at something, you take the good of you succeeding at it and you put it into that form of your rock. If you'd be like, this is how you get better. But if you're sticking to one side of that formula, which is the, the beautiful side of the success, you're missing the other half that makes you grow exponentially faster and be, again, more human in that space. Let's go back to like some of your earliest memories of interacting with the outdoors because you referenced you referenced you you grew up in a city you grew up in Detroit so your interaction with the outside world is is going to be different than mine it's going to be different than a lot of people like what was your first experience with the outside and and how do you think that shaped you, you know? that's a great question I didn't get into the 
outdoor space. And I use air quotes right now. If no one can see my fingers, air quotes yeah. that, you know, traditional like mountain climbing, surfing and free diving until my grandparents and I got to live in Hawaii. You know, I really didn't get that. I got to see the outdoors early on when I, my grandparents, you know, took me to Europe as a kid before they adopted me fully after an elementary, but in Detroit, there wasn't really a lot of outdoors. It's such a turbulent environment. And I don't sugarcoat that. It's a beautiful place, a lot of history. And I'm proud of being born there. That's where my lottery ticket as an African-American male pushed me out. And that lottery ticket, I'm grateful for to be born into the United States, having to navigate what it means to have human rights as a person of minority, that that's a lot to take on. But I don't ever, you know, resent being born in Detroit after evolving to understand what this, that, you know, came with. But when it comes to outdoors, we didn't really have a lot to really depend on because our jungle was concrete. And I tell people the first time I learned how to climb was climbing fences. So again, I say this very well, like when my peers in the outdoor space were learning to climb rocks, I was learning to climb fences with my hands. And I just went back to my great grandmother's house that recently passed away. And I was looking at the fence my brother and I used to climb in our backyard. And I put my hands on the gate. And I'm pretty tiny still. I'm not over like five, six. I'm like five, five and uh, five, four without shoes. So, (laughs) and I put my hands on the gate and I go, well, this gate is still tall as I remember it. And that was the first time I really would, you know, got to sense of climbing and being in this space because we had our backyard. We didn't really get the sense of like rock climbing. That was something that you just never heard of anyone doing um, within the minority space of Detroit. That wasn't something you're just trying to survive. And so track and field, was the cheapest thing that our family could afford. And so I just ran a lot. And also you had to run from school because you'd either get beat up and there was drive-by shootings and you know, we went to school in the project. So my outdoor experience was a little bit different than my peers now. And I'm grateful for that because it gave me, again, that callus or that rocket fuel of my mentality that, you know, when I climbed Kilimanjaro in Walmart boots and, you know, pants and double hoodies. And was like, how can you do that? I was like, I grew up with nothing and all I had to do was just keep going, you know? And I just kind of reverted that into when I got to those spaces. So that that's my first initial. But when I got to Hawaii as a teenager, you know, I fell in love with it because I think, and I reason I call that home is because as Confucius say, there's two lives you start to live, you know, one, before you realize you start to live, actually, life you want to start living. And that was the beginning of that seed being dropped because I remember just seeing, you know, no one being discriminated in the lineup of color. Everyone else was, the Hawaiian culture was like, you got to earn your stripes to be in that water. And I was seeing someone white go out and I was like, oh my gosh, that person just dropped in and the Hawaiians are on. I'm like, what is this? This is reverse racism to me. This is crazy. I was like, whoa, 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 this is cool. This is crazy. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't say cool, but like just to a kid at the time, you're just like, this is really interesting. And um, so, that was one. And then um, being able to hike into, you know, Diamond Head and other parts around Hawaii and really be able to meditate and be in nature with my feet off, my shoes off, gave me the sense of peace. And that evolved into how nature really shaped my entire life, you know, corporate career and to where it is now, because it really showed me that there is space to feel no prejudice, no hate in nature. Mother nature does not discriminate against you. She does not say you're white, you're black, you're brown or, you know, Asian. And I'm going to throw a avalanche at you or a tidal wave. She does not say that it's a, it moves in a cycle of peace and harmony. And when you relate to those moments like that, you're able to move freely. And so when I move into a space with anyone, such as talking to you or dealing with locals, I make sure that, they are given that space, at least for me, or at least the keys to have it. And um, that basically, you know, formed my entire opinion of the outdoors. And I still think of it today and I still love it. So, yeah. You mentioned kind of, we brushed over a little bit, but you taught yourself. Yeah, I didn't have a, I actually, again, I just got a mentor, Melissa Reed is, you know, she called me up and said, Hey, I want to like help mentor and coach you. And I was like, what? I was like, yeah, of course. You're like, again, superhero climbing. So for sure, if you want to do that. But I didn't have mentors. Um, all if I, I just take that back. The mentors I had were climbing guides. I, I don't climb mountains around the world by myself. It's very rare. Mm-hmm. You know, over the six summits I've done, I've always had a guide there with me to some degree. Or, you know, I've done it to where I've really just asked a local. Um, but yeah, no one taught me how to climb or be a mountaineer or any of that. I had to really learn on my own. And the way that I learned how to do mountaineering 
is first off, just reading a lot, YouTube, a lot of books. I have a lot of books in my library back home and understanding crevasse training, crampons. And am I great at it? I would say, no, I'm still evolving and learning and getting feedback from my mentor and other peers in that space. Um, and I, I always, again, let's revert back to how to start it. Having an open mind and knowing that I'm not the best and knowing that in order for me to be the best, it takes a village. And so for me, it's always having a village of people that get that and I'm humbled by them and they push me and they, they give me that. Um, and surfing, no one in my family, <laughs> everyone's the last of this. I would, I would jump, I would leave my house and I'll go jump in a pool and my grandparents will freak out because they're like, you don't know how to swim. And I'll just jump in the deep end and I'll swim to the shallow end to survive, get out, walk back around, do it again until I learned how to do it where I didn't feel like I was struggling. But that is how I got in. Then from there, I just, you know, worked hard and got a surfboard and I learned from people around how to surf. I would just look in the lineup, respect the lineup. Traditionally, like in Hawaii, like I grew up looking at some of the best surfers there, like KK, like Garcia, the whole family and like watching them. And I was just like, that's powerful surfing. Like you really had to be one with the waves to do it. And, um, I just love big wave surfing from there on out. And I didn't get into big wave surfing because I think it's like an adventure or cool or intense. It's more of that is what connected with my soul. And so for me, hunting down big waves is basically hunting down or being with mother nature. And it's a tense moment per se. And I use intense in a nice way. I know that's kind of like what people think, but like in a beautiful sense that she's sending so much power that she's like, feel this and let me know what you think. And I, uh, taught myself that in free diving was just getting used to seeing something below the surface internally and externally, where when I started to understand my body from a mountaineering standpoint, I pushed it to really see what could I see in ex- internally here in my body and then on earth. And so that's where I started like, okay, how far can I go down and really trust my body being someone with asthma to understand where your benchmark is and then come up and really be in a place of like, again, it seems intense, a lot of pressure, literal pressure from the ocean, but you're calm. This, she's not going to kill you on what you are. She's going to give you these moments by she and your mother nature. Can you really accept these moments and learn how to grow from them? And that was it. I just kept doing it and still do it today. And I love it. So, yeah. I had a lot of social anxiety as a kid. And yeah. I think that for me, the outdoor world gave me the combat of the anxiety where I felt comfortable. I used to climb trees a lot and my parents would be like, whoa, how did you get up that high? I, it, but there's a, there's a physicality to it, a control of the body, right? Like you, you, you were able to do that. And I sense uh, my, my daughter's five and she also seems pretty anxious, but she's able to ha- control that one part, which is her body. And she's incredibly adapting to that. And it sounds like for my perspective, I was listening that that seems to resonate with you in a way like there's you're in control you're in control of your body there i would say this that's a good way of saying it Phil, because i think of it when i started to learn how to meditate you know years ago like what 11 years ago now i think when i started to really understand and when you understand that the human body that you're in is a vessel what i mean by that think of yourself as like think of your car you go outside into your car right and you get in that car and you start driving your mind is the you in the car you your body you're in is the car itself when you know how to like how the gas, what kind of gas putting it, what kind of like gear I'm putting it in, how to like, you know, navigate the space on the road. When you start to feel that you get that sense of control to understand how fast and hard you can push that body to be. And when you understand those moments of your body, that anxiety that, and again, did I have anxiety climbing a 10,000 foot mountain for the first time? You are right. I was, did I have anxiety about being caught in a snowstorm out of nowhere? You are hundred percent right. I was, dude, I get anxiety looking at like a 15 wave come out of nowhere. Me sitting on my surfboard. I'm like, you got to go for it. Yes. But the moment you understand how to like navigate that space within your body and to use it to get you through those moments, it's, it's unlocking a new door and a new depth within you. And, uh, you know, like we talked about this with public speaking, I wasn't great at public speaking for a very long time. I was very shy about it. I couldn't do it. And I learned from them, like, okay, how do I unlock this? And going through again, let's go back to forward failures. Failing fast and forward really gets you to be comfortable and understand that. So when you do enter those moments again within your body, you're like, this is what I can use that for. And I don't say, and I, you know, like, 
people always say like, oh, do you have a death wish or something? I'm like, oh no, I have the opposite. I want to live life to the fullest. I mean, being a human being is beautiful because we get to feel so many things in a short period of time here. And so I really want to feel that, but in a sense where I'm able to understand it and reflect upon it and push myself to a place where I'm like, when I'm older, I can say, I lived, I loved, and I learned so much on this time of my, by myself in this place. I have no regrets of that, mm-hmm. but am I going to accelerate that to do something crazy of like climb Everest and like go space jumping off of it? That's hundred percent. No, for anyone listening to that's hundred percent. No, <laughs> I will, yeah. but I will learn what it takes for my body to get there appropriately, to come home safely, to speak about these moments for other people and future generations to find that value within their vessel and themselves to enjoy it as much as I did, if not more. This episode is supported by Atomic Climbing Holds. With orders that ship in one to five business days and having removable climbing holds that are really ideal for a challenge course program, allowing you to adapt and change the routes that you might have on your traverse walls and your climbing walls, then I highly recommend you checking out Atomic Climbing Holds. You can find them at their website, atomicclimbingholds.com as well as see all the wonderful climbing holds that they make on their Instagram at Atomic Climbing Holds. And Atomic is with a K, A-T-O-M-I-K, Climbing Holds. You you mentioned that you know, you've got a mentor now, and at the start you were learning on your own. What's your thoughts around, are you excited about becoming mentors for other people? That's a good question. I think um, I'll, I'll talk about this because when I, I've been doing the Between Worlds project, which is a project that is basically in a sense that when I travel to any place on this for the climb, surf or free dive, I always work with a nonprofit that is looking to empower and battle to battle against sexism, racism or social barriers or climate change that they're facing. And so for me, I, I did it, you know, self-funding and I didn't do it with any publicity or not right. I was like, this is what I love to do. This is how I, you know, define adventure is learning from others and giving back when I have the ability or privilege, which I am privileged to be from a developed nation to have a job to do that. And so when it comes to where I am now, where brands are like, Hey, Andrew, we want you to be with us. And I'm able to be like, I've been in the corporate space for 10 years. I understand what this is like. You're lacking diversity. And I, I, I say this to brands now, and to answer your question, it's a pretty multi-layer question to get to answering it to is I look forward to if I have the opportunity to mentor people, which a lot of people have come up to me and ask for big way surfing training or mountaineering outdoors. And I always leave my Instagram DMs open for people to ask those questions. I do not like, Hey, ask a question. If it's offensive, you're probably not going to get an answer. (laughs) If it's something that you generally need, I'm there to answer if I can in a very respective manner and hopefully helps. But what I mean by this is being a mentor means the outdoor space has to be open to diversity, not just for African-Americans, for Native Americans, Hispanic Americans, Caucasian, Asian Americans, all those that ideal, identify differently with their genders as well. And I, I think of when that moment starts to crescendo, it's the proper place to be that mentor. And I will do that along the way to help others navigate that space. So do I look forward to it? A hundred percent. But I also look forward to helping these brands understand that it is also up to them to give that light to those individuals, such as myself. Like, again, I didn't have any sponsors until this year. No one knew who I was. And, and I was like, that was fine. I was like, I'm just a dude that's down here in Argentina, trying to, or Peru, helping indigenous people and make sure they're talked about in you know, Ecuador. But as it came into the civil rights and the social reform that we had to deal with globally, based on what we were seeing with human rights, I made it to myself to say, this will be more than a hashtag for me. This will be more than a social media post. I'm going to climb the highest mountain on each continent and the highest volcano to speak out against racism, sexism, and the lack of diversity in the outdoor space. And I, and I was like, I challenge these brands and other people to step forward with me. And if you don't know how to do that, let me show you how in this manner. Will I get it right 100% of the time? No. And that's why I say, I look forward to learning from you and when I have enough that I learn in one area, I hope to give it back to those that are looking to do it. So do I look forward to that? I look forward to being an old man at that when I'm done climbing all these mountains on back in Hawaii and someone says, hey, 
I got a scholarship out of Between Worlds Project and I'm a mountain, I'm going to get a mountaineer in Europe and I get to just study music and they don't know who the hell I am and they smile and I smile with them and I just keep walking because I'm an old man. But I also look forward to helping anyone along the way that hears this and says, I want to be a mountaineer that can summit Kilimanjaro faster than anyone else from the inner city of Maryland or from the cities that are in Africa or the cities that are in Europe you know, and have that. And I can say, go talk to these people. They'll help you out hundred percent. Or please ask me. I look forward to that. I think when you're navigating that space, you have to really take your ego out of it to know that there's a 99.9% chance that the change you see by mentoring, you may never see in your lifetime. And if you do it that way, you're giving hope to other people that they're going to keep going and I can just put into a layman's term or like an analogy. It's like when you plant a tree, there's a strong chance you're not going to get the shade under that tree. There's a strong chance. So if you're going to be a mentor, plant the seed, water it. And if you get the chance to sit under that tree, please sit under that tree with someone that really needs that shade and make sure they can get another seed to do the same. So I think that answered that question in a multi-layer, but yeah. I got it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I was, as you were, as you mentioned the tree analogy, I was like, in my head, I'm going to say the tree analogy. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, planting trees you never get to see. I find sometimes that can be the restrictive point at which people don't push forward and do anything because they're like, if they don't get the immediacy, well, what's the point? I don't even do it. There's got to be people up front and center. There's got to be uh, brands that make awareness. There's got to be people like yourself who are being willing to put your face out there as well and and say mm-hmm. like, I'm here because I think that a lot of people are going to see you and be inspired by your story. And if it wasn't there, it would have been a story just for you. So you being able to be up front is great as well. Things are going to happen and hopefully they happen sooner than later. But if we right. do nothing, then they're never going to happen. So it's like that balance of how much is done when, you know. Right. And I think for me, I, I didn't honestly feel if you would have asked me, you know, three years ago, would I, I didn't want to talk about my story for the Between Worlds Project because I didn't want to take away from other, I didn't want to take away mm-hmm. from communities and their issues. I did not want to do that. Yeah. And people came up to me like, Andrew, you got to tell about your story. Like you literally are born in Detroit and you're now chasing some of the biggest waves and climbing some of the biggest mountains and you're doing it in a way that's not, how can I say like about you, you're helping. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But like, let's focus on the communities. And it, it was, it was a time where I really came out to really just say truthfully, like, this is my story. This is my truth. And people were like, are you not afraid of speaking on this? I'm like, honestly, I said recently, it's like, this is probably what's wrong. I see what's wrong with societies where we don't speak on these vulnerabilities or these issues until it, something happens and we become reactive. If we were to speak upon these things as they we crescendo to be human beings, we would have evolved to maybe a point where we could see this and be like, okay, something is out of whack, but it literally took us a pandemic to shut down, look at ourselves in the mirror every day, go outside and see what am I feeling to really understand that something was off on our human scale. And so for me, I really was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it to where you can see my story. And when I get to the top of Everest and the 14 mountains along the way, and that there's actually a bunch of other training ones along the way. When I'm done, this is someone else's turn. I hope to meet that person along the way to your point about mentoring and say, this Between Worlds project of Andrew Alexander King's story ends here, but yours now starts. And you can go to Phil and you can go to this brand and you can go to this mentor and they already know what to help you with. The question will be for you is how far are you prepared to go and how much are you prepared to really sacrifice in this sense to make sure that that dream becomes into fruition into reality for you. So for me, I've always, you know, it's been a very different mindset. And uh, that's why I think when people ask and say certain things, I go, everyone's going to have your opinion. Everyone has a right to their opinion. But again, it's about that rocket fuel. Take the good and the bad, put it together and keep going forward. If you truly do care for it, if not, then I say you find out pretty quick because it's not easy being open and being a human and having ambitious goals. But I, like I tell everyone, like, what do you have to lose at this point? You have this one beautiful life and the worst that happens along your goal and journey that you grow and find a different avenue to see some beautiful things along the way. What's your recommendation to, to organizations such as High Five? We, we are an educational organization that teaches about adventure and experiential ed, and we have thousands of students through the year. What should organizations like us be doing more? 
I think you're doing, I already, I researched you all before this and I think you're already doing great. I think it's more of, you know, partnering with brands that really represent your core values that amplify your voice because in this space that you've already were doing this prior till we needed this big shift, I think a lot of brands need to see that help. You know, the, the, the students that you're mentoring, you're educating in adventure education, that is so vital already. And doing it in a multi-generational, multi-racial scale helps individuals really get that confidence to find peace in the outdoors. Aligning that with a brand that speaks to your core values where you can echo that out for other people to really digest it and feel confident as they grow and from the, like the kids you mentor to adults is something that I think would be great because, you know, if I was one of the kids, I say this, like, thinking, I was like, I was one of the kids that you're educating. I'd be like, I don't know. I probably wouldn't light your light years ahead already. And I'm grateful that there's organizations like you that are so authentic and genuine about this because those are what places and kids need to really understand the beauty of what nature holds. And it, it's really hard right now where the, the level of wealth disparity in the United States or developed nations does limit individuals that, again, are really about the outdoors. They just don't have access to it. And when I say accessibility, and everyone's goes like, oh, nature's for everyone. I'm like, let's just be very clear. When people say that to me, I go, when I grew up in Detroit, the last thing I was thinking about is going all the way up to Lake Superior and getting in a lake. The, the first thing I was thinking about is, can I get home safely? Will I have food? Will I get enough food for the day? And can I get back home and go to school? So you got to think of it like if there isn't a place for children or kids to really come and be and learn about these things that are not just pie in the skies or things they see in movies, a place that people will take them to, then they're going to always fall and default back to this thinking they're never going to get out of there. I was lucky enough to have a village of amazing, I say it again, a village of like my grandparents, my great grandmother, my mom, my uncle, my brother that really really put a lot of effort into educating me on what was possible. So when it comes to high five and what you all are doing here, keep be, keep being that village with the tribunal council to give that wisdom to those kids that they then can speak it along with those brands you partner with to know that there is a place for them to exist beyond those social economic barriers or the under that class ceiling that is suffocating them to think that they do not exist beyond it. What advice would you give to a student about to step into the world of adventure? What's your advice? I would say first things first is know yourself. If you know yourself in depthly and enough, I mean, know it to the best of your ability in that space, in that time frame you're in. Because when you walk into adventure, know what adventure means to you. Define your core values and what matters to you. Because when you go into the adventure space, and I still, when I coach people in surfing or like, you know, outdoors and people ask me, they're like, freediving, they're, they're comparing themselves to other people. And I always snap and go, that person does not matter at all. And they go, no, they do. And I'm like, no, they don't. I can tell you why the person that you're challenging yourself to every day to be in the outdoor space to find confidence is a person that wakes up at 8am, 6am, 7am and looks in the mirror when they brush their teeth. That is your main competition. Everyone else is noise. Like that is like, don't define because their journey is so different than yours. So you don't know what it took for them to be a surfer, to be a free diver, to be a climber. You can go ask them. And, but if you keep defining yourself to that person, you're going to always be stagnant and missing out on your growth. So again, defining who you are in that time frame again, as a young adult, what really matters to you and then challenging, not the next person, the person next to you, but who you were yesterday. And I always say this to people, if the person you are today and the person you were last year sat down at a dinner table together. And the person you were last year says, I'm really impressed with who you are today. You're on the right track. And that's all that's going to matter in your outdoor space. Cause it's very just, it's your frame of mind in that outdoor space. And that's what nature is, is giving you that space to be free and have that space to define who and what you want to be with these gifts. And so um, from there, if you get the chance, don't be afraid to fail. It's okay. It's actually one of the most beautiful things I think for me is like 
failing is great, especially in the outdoors. Just don't die. Yeah. But it's okay to be like, I can't go on anymore. Like my body has maxed out or that's fine. Um, and then if you want to climb giant mountains, I would say find a small peak outside and go with your friends and start there. Start small. If you want to surf, buy the biggest surfboard you can and see, can you stand up and turn? If you want to free dive, get a pool and go with your friends and see, can you touch the bottom of six feet and come back up a few times? And then from there, slowly progress yourself, challenging yourself every day and see how far you get. And you might be surprised. You might get farther than you ever thought and meet some beautiful people along the way that really give you a sense of defiance of like who you are. I I never thought I would be a sponsored climber or surfer in my entire life. I never thought that never in a million years. And uh, that was never my goal. And it's like, again, it's about giving the next generation a place like you're doing here, Phil, with your podcast to speak their truth, speak their story, come be safe. And uh, every brand I work with does that. I'm very intentional about every brand or partner I have and I sign contracts with because that's what I think of. I'm like, 20 years from now, Andrew Alexander King will just, again, be in his 50s and you probably will see me somewhere, but I will see some other mountaineer and surfer. And I'm like, that's, you know, a multi-diversity diversity. And I'd be like, that's what it was about. So again, if you start off with knowing who you are, challenging yourself daily, yourself, not comparing yourself to others and setting up a regime that really pushes you forward out of that comfort zone, you are going to have a beautiful experience and you'll meet some people along the way that would just blow your mind. So you've, you've maybe done a few interviews. You've maybe done a leg up. You've started talking more about this stuff. What is one question that people haven't asked you that you, they wish, you wish you're like, God, why didn't they ask me that? I think the one question, I think, was the date. Number four was the one question they asked, the highlight. There we go. Exactly. See, we've already done it. <laughs> that's it. That's actually, <laughs> no one really starts off with that. It's, um, but yeah, I think the one question is, uh, is how, how have you felt mostly, you know, in that, you know, your evolution of to where you are now? You know, I think going through these interviews, people think that I've just like got here by the chance of like knowing. And I was like, again, I, I was in the corporate, I still am in like that corporate space for 10 years of understanding like media rights contracts and understanding the business of things and the economics of that. And then how to be like, okay, like how to speak and such that again, it didn't just happen overnight. I didn't become a climber and surfer overnight that people just now found via Instagram or Clubhouse or YouTube. That really took a very long time of self-understanding myself. And so when people, if people, when people ask a question or, you know, not on here, but in life, like, what was it like to get there? I say it was, again, progression. If anyone's hearing this, and especially the young adults here, progression is not linear. And I wrote a post on this because I was, I trained 14 to 21 hours a week before I really get to a really big expedition. And um, progression is not linear. It's, it's peaks, it's valley, it's, it's painful, it's happiness, it's sweat, it's tears, it's high fives, it's holding your hand saying, I just want to get one more rep in. I don't know if I can do it. It's not a linear thing. And I think the moment we talked about this, Phil, it's enjoying that journey along the way. And I didn't do that until I got into my 20s to where I really start to really enjoy the journey and be like, I'm Andrew Alexander King, and I am so happy to be here every day. <laughs> and that is what I think when, when I talk to people, if they ask me that, I say it was, it's not been anything short of roller coaster, waves of emotions, peaks of happiness, avalanches of like, you know, wow, that's a failure. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I'm more happy of evolving through it all versus all the accomplishments. And I say this, and I think Seth Curry said this the best the other day, and I was relating to it with one of my mentors. And I said, I don't have anything to prove anymore. Just a lot to accomplish. I have nothing else to prove at this point. I look back and when I went back to Detroit, everyone's always like, you've already pushed through a glass ceiling, been the first in your family to go to college, gone to work for some of the biggest corporations in the world, climbed some of the biggest mountains. And they're like, what else do you have to prove? And I was like, I stopped proving anything the moment that I got became a D1 athlete it's again, evolving to the who I am now is it's been nothing but beautiful. So yeah, I would say that's it, but that's a question. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for asking and answering. Just a quick question. How, how are you doing on your 14 summits? Where are you up to? 
So I've already done three out of the 14. I'm redoing all the 14 again. Yep. So I'm doing it again to really drive home the, the issues we're talking about here. And so back in Mexico, we're doing um, Pico de Agua. Sorry if I messed it up. Anyone that's from Mexico or Hispanic, I'm so sorry. I'm working on my Spanish, but if you DM me and really walk you through it, I'm open to hear that. So I'm back here in Mexico climbing that volcano in two weeks. And then Denali is this summer. And I'll be leaving my, grand, my great-grandmother ashes at the top if I summit or when I do summit. And then head to Europe next year if COVID permits. So that a long way. And then surfing some giant waves, a 20-foot wave in Hawaii. So, But um, that's where I am. It's starting from the beginning. And I'm taking it again as it's brand new. I'm not, I, I again, taking all brand new. So starting from the whole beginning, doing Kilimanjaro again, doing Aconcagua again, doing all over again. So it's a... It's a new journey for everyone just getting aboard this, but everyone else that's known this for six years. But yeah, that's where I am right now. To tie back to experiential education, when we run stuff, we do certain elements. When we're working with the people we're working with, we don't, we don't ever just do it once. You know, doing it once is fine, but the experiential learning is like reflecting on it and then doing it again and seeing if that has affected you in some way. So you doing these again is as awesome, if not more awesome than the first time you get to do them. So repetition isn't a bad thing. We should always continue to know that we have to keep repeating things if we want to get better at them. It's been an absolute pleasure and, and thank you for, for being you and thank you for the work you're doing and shining the light on what you're shining a light on and representing in the way that you're representing. It's it's hugely powerful and important that people get to see themselves mirrored in the people they want to be. So uh, I would do the same right back back to you, Phil. I think keep doing what you're doing, keep educating the future. I think, again, if I had someone like your organization, when I was going through the evolution of where I am now, again, I truly do say with no doubt that it would have been light years ahead of him. So keep doing what you're doing. Having a holding a space for people to come and feel safe is the truth. And, you know, anyone listening to this, dream big, love hard, stay human. That's all I ask. So thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playtime. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting us a guy.